So many of us um, are familiar with the law of cause and effect. So you do this thing and this effect over here is likely gonna be the result. So some examples, you study hard, you do well in school. If you run a lot, then you will likely have greater cardio, endurance, which I realized at the men's retreat as we did our annual football game that I had very little of. If you make wise financial decisions, you'll likely have money. If you eat good and healthy food, then you will likely lead a healthy life. If you are a Buckeye fan, then you will likely lose your voice during big games. If you obey God, then it will likely go well for you. We'll see this in Deuteronomy 4, we'll see it throughout the Proverbs. But the question that I think our text address, addresses this morning is what happens when you are faithful, when you do obey God, when you do everything that he says, and yet things don't go well for you? How do we combat discouragement when that happens, when that takes place? I'll submit to you that as we look at this text, we'll see that when faithfulness leads to suffering, when faithfulness leads to suffering, we fight discouragement with gospel promises. When faithfulness leads to suffering, we fight discouragement with gospel promises. And so just to give you some context, a couple weeks ago, we've, I mean, for the last couple months, we've been going through the book of Exodus. A couple weeks ago was when we were last in it, and we saw that Moses is beginning his unexpected journey. And he, God met him in a burning bush. He revealed who he was to him. He gave him his name. And then he tells him to go to Egypt. Moses was from Egypt. He tells him to go back to Egypt with his brother Aaron and to com command Pharaoh to let God's people go. Moses is a little hesitant. He gives some rebuttals. God answers each of those, and then Moses agrees to go. And so Aaron meets up with him, and they begin this journey. And it was unexpected that Moses was even going to go on this journey. He wasn't looking for this. He had been in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd, and now he's going back to the, the world power, Egypt, and he's going to have a confrontation with the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. And then while he's heading back, some unexpected things happen. The Lord almost kills him because he wasn't using the covenant sign uh, with one of his sons the way that he was supposed to. And then uh, what we see is Moses continues to just grow in his understanding of who God is. God is, in fact, faithful to his covenant. And this week, after returning to Egypt, we're going to see that Moses, after returning to Egypt and visiting the Israelites, that he and Aaron are now going to visit Pharaoh. Been leading up to this. Remember, Pharaoh is uh, identified, just through the, the literary structure of the text, identified as the seed of the serpent. Remember Genesis, when the serpent comes in and he uh, uh, influences Adam and Eve to sin? And they choose to sin. And then God says there will be enmity between your seed, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. Well, Pharaoh, sitting on his throne, is wearing a crown with a serpent right in the center. And so what we see is that he is indicative, he is representative of the seed of the serpent. And this battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is going to play itself out throughout the book of Exodus. And now it's really starting to kick off. Moses and Aaron, they went to the Israelites, just like God said. They told them the plan. The Israelites believed. And then 
After telling them the plan, they send Moses and Aaron to go talk to Pharaoh, and we begin to see this clash begin. Now, the theme throughout the book of Exodus is God making himself known. So he made himself known to Moses in the burning bush. He revealed his name. And as we go through the text, we'll see today, and as we continue to march through Exodus, God is increasingly making his name known to not only Moses and the Israelites, not only Egypt, but all the world. So, <clears throat> let's look. Um, we are in Exodus chapter 5. And so we're going to look at chapter 5 and most, nearly all, but not quite, most of chapter 6. So chapter 5, verse 1 through 627. And if you are uh, looking for that in your Bible, turn to the beginning. You'll see Genesis, and the next book is Exodus. We're going to be there. Look for the big number five. That's where we're going to start. And if you're using one of the blue provided Bibles nearby, that's going to be on page 48. Page 48. <clears throat> and we're going to start this morning by reading the first 21 verses of chapter 5, and then we will address the rest as we go. So Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. 
but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The former of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. God, we are grateful for your word. We pray that as we look at it, that you would help us see the richness of this text, and that you would help us to gladly and joyfully embrace the gospel promises that you give us through Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. So if you're in your bulletin, you'll find that uh, we provide some sermon notes, and there are two points to this text. So we have the overarching point that when uh, you suffer for faithfulness to fight discouragement by focusing on gospel promises. Now, the, the main overarching point is broken down by two subpoints, and you can see them there in your bulletin. So the first one, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, we're going to look at Pharaoh's persistence. Pharaoh's persistence. And then the second point is God's promises. Pharaoh's persistence, and then God's promises. And so Moses and Aaron, <clears throat> in the first nine verses of chapter 5, they are obeying God, and they're approaching Pharaoh. So God told Moses and Aaron to go to Egypt. They obeyed. He told Aaron to speak for Moses. He was going to give Moses the message, and then Aaron was going to take the message from Moses and deliver it to the people of Israel, and he obeyed. And then God told Aaron and Moses to share God's plan with the elders of Israel when they get to Egypt. And so they got to Egypt, and they shared God's plan with the elders of Israel. They obeyed. And then God told Moses and Aaron to take this message that he just gave to the elders of Israel. Now take it to Pharaoh. And they obey. See that in the first verse there, chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go. So right there, first verse, we see them continuing to obey God. Now, other than Moses' initial concerns when God first showed up to him in the burning bush, he's been obeying all the Lord has asked him to do. Lord says, go to Egypt, do it. Bring Aaron with you, do it. And Moses continues to obey what God has said. And so far, everything's been working out pretty well. Pretty much exactly how God has said it would. In fact, exactly how God has said it would. Aaron showed up, agreed to go to Egypt with Moses. He spoke all that he, that he was told to say to the elders of Israel. They believed, just like God said they would. Moses did the signs that God had given him to do. And Aaron, uh, or excuse me, and Israel believed him. But now, after obeying and seeing God uh, fulfill everything that he was going to say, now Moses and Aaron continue to obey, but now they run into some trouble with Pharaoh. He told them to go and talk to Pharaoh. They do. And now we see Pharaoh give some pushback. Now, this is something that God said would be the case. He said that Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, and, and sure enough, Pharaoh does reject God. We see that in Exodus 4, 21. So just the chapter before in verse 21. But now in Exodus 2, we see an interesting response from Pharaoh. Excuse me, Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh says this after Moses and Aaron come to him. He says, who is the Lord? Now remember, when you look in your Bibles and you see Lord in all caps, 
That's, that's uh, the way that the Bible has translated his name, Yahweh. Okay, so when you see Lord with the capital L and then lowercase letters, that's saying like master or uh, leader or king. When you see Lord with all caps, you could just say, you could say Lord or you could say Yahweh. And so when Moses and Aaron come to him and say, hey, here's what Yahweh says. Here's what the Lord says. Pharaoh responds by saying, who is this Yahweh? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? He says, I do not know the Lord. I do not know Yahweh. So Pharaoh doesn't just reject God. He says he doesn't even know of him. Now, remember, Egypt worshipped a a multitude of gods. Some commentaries say it was over 2,000 gods that Egypt worshipped. And so when Moses and Aaron approach him and they say, here's what Yahweh says. Here's what the Lord says. It's almost as if Pharaoh's looking around at the pantheon of gods and saying, I don't see any of the gods named Yahweh. Why should I listen to his voice? It's like getting a text message from a number that you don't know, telling you to do something. You don't know who this. I I have no idea who this is. I'm not going to obey what this says. However, God is going to make sure that Pharaoh knows who he is. Pharaoh's response is, I don't know who this guy is. God is going to make sure that Pharaoh never forgets who Yahweh is. How many of you in here have seen the movie Remember the Titans? Okay, great. Great movie. One of my favorite movies. One of the movies I've probably seen more than any other movie out there. There's this awesome scene in Remember the Titans when there's this team that's just been disrespecting the Titans. Okay, T.C. Williams High. This this other team just disrespecting them, and when it comes to game day, the other team is just having their way with the Titans, at least for the first part of the game. And so the defensive coordinator, the guy who just runs the defense, he brings the defense together, and he's had enough. And he says this. He says, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. And for those who aren't football fans, blitz just means you send a bunch of people to get the ball, or to get the guy so that he doesn't get any yards. He says, if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. Leave no doubt is how he ends it. And so look, Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't know Yahweh. And he has no respect for the Lord. However, over the next few chapters, as we go through this book, the Lord is going to blitz Egypt. And Pharaoh will remember forever when he decided to go toe-to-toe with the Lord. And the Lord will leave no doubt. In fact, if you look a little bit to the next chapter, chapter 7, look at verse 5 there. He's getting ready to do these signs and wonders and send these plagues. And he makes it clear that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So look, Moses and Aaron go to him, and he says, I don't know who Yahweh is. I'm not going to obey him. They even try to help clarify. You see there in verse 3, they even try to help clarify for him. The God of the Hebrews, Pharaoh, the the God of the Hebrews, the, the Israelites who are your slaves, he met with us. But Pharaoh remains persistent. He is not going to let them go. In fact, he makes things worse for Israel. He, Pharaoh, thinks that the Israelites are resting too much. He says, you're idle. That's why you say you want to go 
out into the desert to worship this God. So he makes your jobs harder. He no longer provides straw for the bricks. However, he still requires the same amount of bricks from them. So they're to do the same, uh, they're to produce the same result with less material. And so he summarizes this in verse 9, where Pharaoh says, Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regards to lying words. So a couple things to see here in verse 9. So look there. One, Pharaoh wants Israel to be so busy with their work that they have no time to consider the Lord. And Jonathan pointed this out even at our men's retreat. He said one of Satan's tactics is to keep you too busy to consider what God has said. And friends, know that Satan's tactics have not changed. They may take new forms, but they haven't changed. Christian, don't be too busy for God. And if I'm just going to be transparent with you and honest with you, that's where I tend to struggle. Oh, I've got to answer this email. Oh, I've got to do this task. Or, oh, I've got to take the kids here. Or, oh, I've got to meet with this person. And, and all kinds of these tasks that aren't necessarily bad things, are good things, can make me feel like I'm too busy to, to be still and to know that he's God, to meditate on what he has said, to consider it, to bring it to remembrance, to read it. If you're not a Christian today and you're curious about God, you can count on Satan trying to make you too busy to continue your search as to what truth is. He will do everything he can to keep you busy so that you do not come to an understanding of who the Lord is, who Yahweh is. Don't be too busy. All kinds of things are going to come up. Continue to pursue truth. Continue to pursue the Lord. But the second thing to see there in verse 9 is that Pharaoh views the Lord's message as lying words. So in verse 3, Moses and Aaron tell Pharaoh that if they don't obey the Lord, then he, the Lord will fall upon them with pestilence and the sword. Essentially saying it's going to send these plagues and eventually kill them if they don't obey the Lord. Now Pharaoh believed that was an empty threat. He said these are lying words. Let them pay no regard to lying words. But here's the thing. Pharaoh will soon understand that the Lord does not make empty threats. Christian or non-Christian, have you come to realize that? That the God of the universe does not make empty threats. When he says, repent and believe, when he says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, and all those who are not in Christ will spend eternity separated from God in hell, experiencing his wrath, do you believe that God does not make empty threats? He will be true to his word. But he's also true to his promises. And so if you call on Jesus, if you trust him to be the way, the truth, and life, if you trust him to be not only your Lord, your master, your king, but also your savior to take away all of your sin, you will enjoy fellowship with the Lord, with Yahweh for all eternity. Continuing on here, in verse 10, we see that the people of Israel get the news that the workload is increasing. Now, something to, to see here in this text, notice in verse 1, we see, thus says the Lord. So that's how uh, Moses and Aaron enter into Pharaoh's presence, and they say, thus says the Lord. Now in verse 10, Egypt responds with, thus says Pharaoh. So again, there's a clash 
happening here? What the Lord says and what Pharaoh says. Which is further setting the stage for an epic showdown between the true God and a man who thinks he's God. So what does Pharaoh say? He says that Israel's burden or their workload has been increased. They need to produce the same amount of bricks with less material, which in fact just proves to be impossible. And the, the foremen go to Pharaoh and say, how are we supposed to accomplish this? You are beating us because you say that we're not accomplishing this, but really it's your fault because you've taken away the material, so how are we supposed to do this? I mean, they're frustrated. Moses and Aaron, Israel's representatives, faithfully obeyed God. Yet, things got worse for them. Law of cause and effect. If you think you faithfully obey God, that things are going to go well for you. In this situation, things got worse. And so, they go to Pharaoh. The foreman, and the foremen are just kind of like middle management. They're supervisors um, for the work that the Israelites are doing. And they ask him to, to provide the straw again. And he says that he will not. And in verse 19, he says, you shall by no means reduce the number of your bricks, your daily task each day. Now, Pharaoh was essentially the Supreme Court in Egypt. He's the highest court of appeal. So if he says no, it's not happening. They've taken their appeal to the highest authority, and the highest authority has said, go pound bricks, literally. Now, as they come out of Pharaoh's court, they meet with Aaron and Moses, and they're understandably very upset with them. They said, look, you told us this message that Yahweh's going to deliver us, and we believed you, and so we sent you to Pharaoh to go say what you said you were going to say, and we haven't been delivered. In fact, our lives have gotten a lot worse. So it's not that we don't believe God, because they even say, hey, let the Lord judge between you. right? So it's not that their faith has been totally lost in Yahweh, but they are starting to lose their faith in Moses and Aaron. They're saying, look, if we do what God tells us to do, then we shouldn't be suffering. So you, Moses and Aaron, must have done something wrong. So let the, the Lord judge between you, because you've made a stink to the leaders here. One commentary puts it this way, that the presumption that a good God never lets dangerous or harmful events happen to his people, false as it always has been, as it was with the Egyptian, or with the Israelites and the Egyptians, is a very old belief. And if we're honest, we oftentimes think the same way. If I do the right things, if I take my family to church, if I tithe, if I'm a part of a community group, if I'm sharing the gospel, if I'm making wise decisions, if I'm trying to read consistently, meditate on it, and apply it to my life, then things will go well for me. And friends, as a general principle, that's true. But it does not make you immune to suffering. Some of the most faithful Christians have suffered the greatest. In fact, our Savior was perfectly faithful. And yet he died a brutal death on the cross for you and me. He was not immune to suffering. And so when we look at verses 22 and 23, those kind of serve as the hinge pin between this first section where things are getting progressively worse despite their faithfulness and the next section, which we're going to see. But here's what we see in verses 22 and 23. Moses is discouraged. Let's read those two verses. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, 
He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. C.S. Lewis says that if Satan's arsenal of weapons were restricted to a single one, it would be discouragement. Warren Rearsby says that discouragement is a key weapon in Satan's arsenal. And John Stott says that the Christian's chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. Discouragement is a powerful thing. And Moses, being the mediator between Israel and God and being their representative to go to Pharaoh, is experiencing he was faithful and things have gotten worse. And he is discouraged. Moses is feeling that right now. So he goes to God and essentially says, God, I did everything you asked. I lived up to my end of the deal. You said you'd deliver your people, but you haven't delivered them at all. So you can imagine everyone's frustration here. Israel's frustration because they believed and then sent Moses and Aaron on, but their lives got a lot worse. Moses' frustration because he was pulled out of 40 years in the wilderness, he seemed to be very happy, and the Lord said, go ahead and go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, and I'm going to drive these people out, and I'm going to make sure they get let go, and he obeys, and yet things get worse for him. Yet, despite him obeying, despite Israel trusting, both Israel and Moses experienced this increased suffering. Now, three things for us to see here. The first is that faithfulness does not make us immune to suffering. I've already touched on this, so I'll be brief. But Christian, God has promised that there will be a day when there is no more suffering, when sin is no more and the effects of sin, suffering, are also no more. But as long as sin remains in the world, as long as we remain in a sinful world, the effects of sin are going to touch us. And we have to know how to approach that. Don't grow discouraged. Faithfulness does not make us immune to suffering. The second thing to see here is that Moses, although frustrated and confused, took his complaint to God. Do you see that? Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord. Friends, when suffering comes your way, when you feel cheated, when you feel confused, when you feel frustrated, where do you go first? Is it God? Is it the Lord? Or... Is it hobbies, or social media, or work, or family, or friends, or pressing to your career, whatever it is? Not to say that any of those things are necessarily bad, just which one do you go to first? Where do you take your complaint? Go to the Lord. Moses was frustrated, he was confused, but he still went to the Lord first. And then the third thing to see here is that Moses' suffering was amplified. It was actually made worse because he failed to remember what God had said to him. Turn back a couple chapters to chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And then look with me. We're going to look at two verses. Look at verse 19. We're going to look at verse 19 and 20. So God's telling Moses what's going to happen. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
So all these wonders and mighty signs need to take place first, and then the people will be let go. God revealed this to Moses. But Moses, at the first sign of trouble, is discouraged, and he's frustrated because he's not remembering what God had said. God said these things need to take place first. Christian, when you go through suffering, do not forget what God has said. We are in such a privileged position to be able to have access to God's word virtually any time we want. Don't forget what he said to you. Consider a few verses here when you do go through suffering. Romans 8.18. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We may suffer, but these present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the reward that comes through Christ Jesus for eternity. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Be it in this life or in the next. Friends, your death in this life is a means by which God will deliver you from the sin of this world into eternal bliss. If you are in Christ, you do not need to fear death. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And in Revelation 21, verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Christ is coming back, and he's going to make all things new, and the former things the, a world that is plagued by sin and the effects of sin, they're going to pass away. They're going to be gone. And if you are in Christ, you'll enjoy that new heaven and that new earth together with him. So as we look at these, this first section here, this first uh, chapter, chapter 5, we see that Moses faithfully did what God commanded. Yet, things got worse. After bringing his complaint to God, Moses is graciously and mercifully reminded of God's promises the second point here in our passage. So look at me. We're going to look at verse 6. Let's read those first nine verses. But the Lord said to Moses, so he's graciously responding to him now. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, is God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And so God assures 
Moses that he is going to act against Pharaoh. Moses had forgotten what God had said, but God graciously reminds him of what he has said, of what his promises are. And verse 3, God makes a unique point. He said he's revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he's revealed himself to them as God Almighty. But to Moses, he's revealed himself in a unique way. He's given him his name, his personal name, Yahweh, or as you see in your Bibles, Lord. He reminds Moses of this name several times right here in these first nine verses, four times to be exact. He says, I am the Lord. It's like he's saying, I am Groot. I am Groot. For those of you who know the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Lord is showing all that he's going to do. And each time he says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And while reminding Moses of his name, God also reminds him of what he will do. So God says he'll provide redemption, relationship, and rest. We see in these first nine verses seven I will phrases. I will promises. So in verse six, we see God saying that he will provide redemption. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. And then in verse 7, we see him promising relationship. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And in verse 8, we see him providing rest. I will bring you into the land. I will give that land to you for a possession. And so with these promises in mind, Moses and Aaron are charged to go back to Pharaoh. Moses, of course, is hesitant. He says, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me from of uncircumcised lips? And that uncircumcised lip just means he's not a gifted speaker. He's worried about his ability to speak. But then, in verse 13, we see that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And here's the charge. To bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so then, after that, it seems weird because we then jump into a genealogy. And if you're, you're like most Bible readers, you see that genealogy, you just kind of skip right over it. But there are some things to get out of a genealogy. All scripture is profitable. So something for us to see with this genealogy here. Now you can see, before I even jump in, it's kind of bracketed off because in verse 13, we saw that uh, his charge was to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And then we see in verse 26, it kind of coming to a close there. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out, uh, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. So you can see this kind of bookends there, the charge to bring people out of the land of Egypt. And right between those bookends is this genealogy. Now, what are we supposed to get out of this genealogy? Okay, so it starts off by listing three sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And you would think that it would just continue on listing Jacob's sons, but it doesn't. It hits pause on Levi and just kind of double clicks on that family. And it emphasizes that Moses and Aaron are from the tribe of Levi. Again, verse 26, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. 
So the point being made is that this Moses and this Aaron, they are a part of the tribe of Levi. Now that's significant because the tribe of Levi is eventually where Israel's priests and their mediators between them and God are going to come from. And so Moses and Aaron are the first in a long line of mediators between God and his people. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Adam. These are individuals that he's having a covenant with, and there's not a people that they're representing at this point. But then when he gets to Moses, all of a sudden there's a whole nation. And so he needs a mediator. And he chooses Moses and Aaron to be those mediators. They're the first in the long line of imperfect priests, imperfect mediators. But they have been tasked with the job to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Friends, we have a greater mediator who is tasked with the job. And Moses and Aaron, being in that tribe of Levi, being us, the, the author here wants us to see that they are the first in line of a long line of mediators who are going to intercede between us and God. But they are imperfect. Moses forgot God's plan. We have a greater mediator who remembered God's plan perfectly and fulfilled it perfectly. He was faithful and yet still experienced suffering. Moses was discouraged and confused. The Lord Jesus faced persecution, yet he remained steadfast. He faced discouragement, sure, but he was a perfect mediator. God reminds, notice what God does here. When Moses is discouraged, what does he do? He reminds Moses two things. One, who he is, who God is. He says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And then he says, he reminds Moses of what he will do. He says, I will, I will, I will, seven times. So the greatest thing, friends, that we need today is to know who God is and what he has done. He is creator, he's all-powerful, he's holy, he's just, he's loving. And he has provided a way for unholy rebels like ourselves to receive eternal pardon. How? By making a new covenant through a new and better mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus lived a perfectly faithful life and suffered in our place. His perfect faithfulness would be exchanged, would be traded for our sin. He would endure God's wrath against our sin so that we could enjoy the reward of his faithfulness, that his faithfulness earned. And look, he will always remember that covenant. God, God says here when he's talking to Moses, I remembered my covenant with my people. Remind them, I'm going to take them out. I'm going to deliver them into the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is saying, I remember my covenant. This new covenant by a new and greater mediator, Jesus Christ, God will remember. He will never forget it. So if you call on Christ and ask him to take away your sin, you will be brought into that new covenant. And God will never forget you. When you go through suffering, you can know that God will remember his promises, and he will deliver you from that suffering. And because of that promise that he's made, he will provide redemption, relationship, and rest. He'll bring you out from under the burden of having to earn your own salvation. 
Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. He says, my burden is light. When we try to earn our own salvation, that is a heavy burden that we will not be able to carry. If you are in Christ, he will bring you out from under the burden of having to earn your own salvation. He will deliver you from the slavery, from your slavery to sin. Then he'll also bring you into a relationship with himself. He'll take us to be his people and he will be our God. And then he'll provide rest. He'll bring us into a new land where there will be no sin and the effects of sin will be no more. So friends, when faithfulness leads to suffering, fight discouragement with those gospel promises that God, through Christ, the better mediator, through Christ who establishes a better covenant, through him, he will provide redemption, relationship, and rest. And so if you're in Christ, be comforted by that. If you haven't yet embraced Christ, let today be the day when you trust him as your deliverer. Acknowledge your sin, your need for forgiveness, and trust Christ for that forgiveness. It's only through him. We just sang the song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's only through him that we can truly and finally say, for all eternity, oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for remembering your covenant with your people. Thank you for establishing an even greater covenant, one that is not based on uh, ethnicity, one that is not based on uh, fulfilling uh, the law ourselves, uh, but based on one who has done that in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing that. Thank you for attributing that to us freely through faith. Help us, when we face suffering, to fight discouragement with those gospel promises that you provide redemption, relationship, and rest. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.